You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. everyone it's luke hector for another podcast yes i hope you're sitting there comfortably with your tea or coffee sadly i don't have a tea or coffee in hand at the moment i just have squash main reason because it's pretty hot in the house at the moment the heating has been on because it was a bit chilly today and i've just been out for a run and had a hot shower so i'm kind of like you're somewhat hot at the moment i think a hot tea is probably not the best thing i need right now mainly i just need my fluids so i can keep up the conversation uh, but yeah, hope you're all good. Hope you're managing. Um, if you're in other countries, then I hope things are you know nice and comfortable for you. In the UK, I hope you're not letting this uh, current lockdown uh, get the better of you. I mean, it's a case of, yes, we've all got one support bubble that we can have, and it's uh, it's helping to keep me in some degree of sanity. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to 2nd of December when supposedly it will be lifted for the UK and we can get back to a little bit of normality for Christmas. But yeah, who knows what the government will try and do to us, really. You know, uh, always trying to ruin our day. But, you know, the vaccine stuff's around the corner. We've been getting all that in the news lately. And hopefully that will be the shining armor for a lot of people. So we'll We'll just have to see how it goes, really. But uh, yeah, I've still been playing a lot of solo games. So solo every day, the hashtag I've done. I haven't put up pictures every single day for it. But when I have, I've always used the hashtag. So it's just a case of when you see pictures, it's there. But it's just basically my way of saying I'm playing a solo game every day. Doesn't matter what game it is. It can be a titchy five-minute filler. It could be a big, long three-hour epic. It just has to be a solo game at some point during the day. And today, I've been doing that with Kingdom Rush. Kingdom Rush is on the table next to me, a retail copy supplied by Lucky Duck Games and Asmodee. And I've got it there. It was a bit of a chore, I admit, to get through the rulebook at first. The rulebook's not horrible per se, but when you look at the fact that you've got a rulebook, a scenario book, and some of the layout of where certain rules are found are kind of a bit odd and a bit weird and some of the iconography is not intuitive it it kind of does frustrate you a bit i certainly did find times where i'm like i barely got into this book and i'm already i'm asking a question and it made my first game a bit sluggish but i've played a couple of games on top of that and it got a lot easier so it's one of those games where you're going to have a bit of a barrier to entry and then once you've clicked it will stay clicked. It's not like you're going to be checking the rule book constantly to figure out a rule because it doesn't make sense. No, you should be pretty good from that point on. But I've had a good time with it. I'm going to see what it's like and it will get a full review. So we'll get a full review on the channel. Uh, once I've played it a bit more, I have not played it in multiplayer mode yet, except for the one time I played it, uh, I think back at Aircon or was it back at the Games Expo? I don't know, but I remember playing it multiplayer at some point. And so I know how that works, but I'm hoping to be able to play it multiplayer at some point uh, later this week on the basis that my support bubble will be coming around. And so I'll be able to, you know, try a multiplayer with them then. But uh, at that point, it's just for, for now, solo mode it is pretty sweet, but this is just first impressions. What else has been going on in general with the channel? Well, the channel has had, if I, you've got the website here, 
Uh, I've just released a top 10 list. Yes, the top 10 lists are back, and it has been a while since the last one, but I am trying to do these, you know, amidst a ton of S and reviews and that, and other content. But we have the top 10 low-complexity, high-depth games. Uh, for, for those not completely au fait with what I'm talking about with that. Basically, there was a while ago, a while ago I did a similar list. Uh, let's see if I can find it on the search here, where I did... There we go. Top 10 games with low complexity and high depth. So this one was my most viewed video on the entire channel. In fact, I wonder if it will tell me the views at this point. I don't think it... Oh, actually, analytics? Maybe that will tell me. Let's have a look. Come on, tell me. 55,500 views. I hate the fact that it says 51,000 more than usual. Yes, I get it. I'm a small channel. I don't get many views. You know, stop having to go at me for that. But it has been a highly viewed video. Like this is easily the most viewed video on the channel. It got very popular. It had views, both good and bad, shall we say, because people have their own opinion as to what is low complexity and high depth. But all in all, it's a video that I'm proud that I did. So people have asked, including the Patreons, for me to do a part two. And that's what this video is. It is simply just me doing a second part. So another 10 games, not 20 to 11, not another 10 through, well, it's a 10 through one, but not to replace the other list, not 20 to 11. It's just another 10 games. So consider it a separate list. And of course, there's going to be ones I've missed out that people will think are, you know, perfect for the list that I haven't included. By all means, have a watch of the video. Let me know your thoughts and put your ideas in the comments so that everybody can see them. But, uh, yeah, that was a bit of work to get that one done. But yes, I've got other top 10 lists in mind. And the these, this series is back. It's just a case of when I get time to do them. Other than that, there's also a nice development that I have been... Let's see if this will work on here. Yep, I think it does. So this is StreamYard. StreamYard is a platform for streaming. So some of you have been very popular, I'm um, sorry, you've, some of you have been very positive about the streams I've done, which I'm, you know, happy to see. I don't know if the video is playing on the OBS screen, but if it's not, oh well. The The idea is, is that this StreamYard is a streaming platform which links to Facebook and YouTube and I think Periscope, but who uses that? And I'm not planning to go on Facebook Live, but the idea is, is that this could be a replacement for OBS for the normal streams, like the Q&A. Uh, I'll probably still use OBS for this podcast, and I will certainly use OBS for the gaming ones, where I'm playing a, an app on Steam and doing that solo. So that's probably going to still be the case. But the idea is, is that I will be able to use this platform for doing streams like the Q&A, but also having guests on. This is one where I can highlight the comments you can see there. In fact, I think Tom Vassell uses this on his Q&A because I've seen this exact format used on his where you can click on a comment and it flags up on the screen so you people can see what you're responding to you can have multiple guests you can put their screen large have two of you on the same screen have banners and overlays and all sorts of stuff brand it to your own color even and i did a patreon goal to say if you can get me to this goal i can afford the subscription you know month the the subscription to the service and the patreons responded new patreons came in i am more than grateful to all of you who chipped in for that you got me to that goal and so as promised i have subscribed to streamyard officially i am getting to grips with it it's not the most complicated system in the world it's meant to be pretty user friendly and it is but i need to 
really make certain I know what I'm doing with it and get the overlays and banners and branding and logos and stuff ready. And I need, I've got a bit of a time limit to do that. I need to do it before Wednesday evening because Wednesday evening I have a Q&A in the works. So I believe, where will I find it? Let's see, if I go create, go live, you'll be able to see this in a bit more detail. But basically I'm doing a Q&A on Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. British Standard Time. This is another Q&A. So this is my November Q&A. Bit later than usual because I wanted to get StreamYard first and before I did that I wanted to watch some videos, I attended a webinar to learn a bit more about the platform but yep this Q&A session will be happening on, I uh, don't know if you can see it easily and hmm, go away app, there you go, <laughs> it's trying to interrupt me as I do it but yes the November Q&A session will be happening 8pm Wednesday the November the 25th British Standard Time so I hope you guys can attend and you know just show your support and you know, be good. Oh, hang on. I've got Photoshop and all that lot trying to update in the background, and it's just been very noisy. I don't like it. So maybe I can close this and tell it to be quiet. That would be nice. Exit Creative Cloud. Quit. There we go. But yeah, so yeah, if you can make the Q&A, then please do. If not, just watch it at a later date. That's perfectly fine. But, you know, some of you have been regular attendees. I thank you for that. And some of you are you know, new to the channel, if you want to just see me talk about stuff, then come along. It's not all about board games. It's it's basically a case of that you can talk to me about board games, but you can talk to me about anything. Talk to me about real life. Talk to me about my history. Talk to me about what food I like. Compare ice cream flavors. Uh, talk, ask me what I think of The Mandalorian Season 2, you know, that kind of thing. It's, you, know, you can come along and ask all sorts of questions and, you know, by all means, it'd be great for you to, great to see you there. So, yes, I think that's all. Oh, no, and there's one more thing just to talk about with the channel. Uh, the playlists. Uh, I've had to make a change. I accidentally clashed the name of one of my series with uh, the solo mode that Mike Delisio does on the Dice Tower. I was an idiot. I forgot. I forgot that Mike Delisio does a series called Solo Mode on the Dice Tower. And I accidentally called my series Solo Mode. So the, the ones where I do solo playthroughs. So obviously I needed to change that because uh, obviously I don't want the confusion to arise between us uh, both. And so I put out a request to think of a decent name for it. And somebody came up, uh, Shane Murray, uh, and a shout out to you, came up with this phrase, all by my shelf, which I thought was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. So from now on, I, I can't edit all the thumbnails because I don't have the thumbnail files anymore because I usually override one and do another. Uh, but I can at least change some of the titles. But it might look a bit weird for, say, the first six, five or six videos I've done. Certainly the Pursuit of Happiness stuff I've done will have to remain that way. But basically, you will see, for the most part, you will see All By My Shelf as the new title for my solo playthroughs. And this will be reflected in the thumbnail as well. So, like I say, if you're wondering what on earth the change is, that's the change. That's the reason why. You know, my bad. Hand on, yeah, hand up. That was my bad. Should have maybe done a bit more research before I did the name. So, what am I going to do on this podcast? Well, basically, when it gets to this stage of the year, I've got to do a lot of reviews, like a ton of reviews, and it's like I hit burnout if I'm not too careful, especially as I want to do other content and top tens and all that. So, when it gets to this point, 
I have to make a decision what I'm going to review, but also what I'm going to do full reviews on. So full reviews are going to be you know done for certain games. Like I say, Kingdom Rush will get one. Uh, Chronicles of Crime 1400 will get one. I'm due to do one for Coleco anytime soon. Uh, what else is there? Possibly doing one for... I may do one for Ed- Efferfields, but I don't know. Efferfields wasn't a review copy. It was a Kickstarter purchase, and it's going to take me a while to get through that one. Not the whole campaign, but enough of it to determine I can do a review. But maybe I will do a podcast edit on it. You know, I'll do a impressions of it on the next week's podcast. So far, I'm liking it, but it does have some issues. But certainly, there are some games that I'm like, right, i got to review this, or I'm going to do a podcasting on that. So, you know, stuff is coming. But in order to actually do them all, I need to actually do some on the podcast. Otherwise, I just haven't got the time. Remember, just me, no team, no Kickstarter. I'm literally just me with a job, with a life. So I can only do so much. So basically, I have chosen four games that I'm going to review on this podcast. I'm not going to do like the full detail thing, but I'm going to give a decent spiel about each one, say what I like, say what I don't, give a rating, and go from there. Three of them are purchases I've made recently, so they're not actually review copies. Uh, One of them is Paris. Uh, one of them is Search for Planet X. The other one is Truffle Shuffle. And also by popular request on the channel, I'm also going to talk about my thoughts on the recent deluxe expansion for Arkham Horror LCG, The Innsmouth Conspiracy. I wasn't going to do a full video on that, but it was requested. So I figured I would at least talk about it on the channel. So without further ado, uh, let's kick off with the first one. So let's start off easily with Truffle Shuffle. Truffle Shuffle uh, from whoop, from Aldrac Entertainment, AEG. This is a very light, t- like two to four player drafting game. And when I say draft, I'm talking about the similar draft that you get in Seven Wonders Duel. This basically has you taking cards of chocolates from various like places, shall we say, on this, uh, as you can see from the diagram, this pyramid. Some are face down, some are face up. And the idea is, is that you draft them one at a time from the bottom row and go up. And obviously, if it's being covered by another, you can't take the card. And you're trying to get sets much like poker, with some exceptions, but mainly like poker. So four of a kind, a straight, flush, that sort of thing. And as you take the cards, you decide if you're going to convert them into a set. Some sets are worth more points than others. You keep going through. The whole pyramid is taken. And then you rinse and repeat another two rounds with some bonus coins for if you do a set of four or more quickly. But... The whole deck will eventually run through. There's a few little cards like the ability to take two, change the number, change the color, little things like that. And then at the end of the three rounds, who's got the most points? Pretty straightforward card game with some nice glossy cards that you don't really even need to think about sleeving, really. In fact, I'm not entirely sure you will have room to sleeve in this. So this is the actual box, Truffle Shuffle. I don't think you would have... Well, I mean, the coins are nice. They look like chocolate coins, but... In this, I want to see, can't, whoa, everything's falling onto the keyboard, this is a disaster. Now, if you if you wanted to sleeve this, you might have to remove the insert, and even then I'm not certain you would fit it all in. I think you probably would if you removed the insert, but honestly, I think the cards are pretty decent quality that you don't need to think about sleeving the game per se. It's just pretty good as it is, but it's... A nice little light game. I mean, it's not very complicated at all. The rules are dead simple. Two of the cards in it are pretty much taken out of Uno rules. And it's just a pretty sweet, gentle game. Now, I don't think it's anything mind-blowing, though. I like this drafting mechanic, and I think it's pretty solid. But my kind of thing with it is that 
some of these sets people just don't tend to do. Like, I mean, if you just do the one of each color or the four of one color all the time, I don't think you'll do as well as anybody who does straights and flushes and that. And it seems to be easier than you think to get the six and nine point stuff. You know, a lot of people are able to get number set flushes because there's only so much you can do to hurt the other players in more player games. And this is kind of where my slight beef with it is really because in three and four player i think this game isn't as good as it is with two player with this you you know you've got a chaos factor to think about the the game doesn't scale with players so in four players you've got three other people taking cards before it's your turn you can't physically hate draft against them you just have to kind of think about what you're doing in three players it's a little bit better in two players though it's a lot better because in two players you can easily see what one person is doing you know what they're gunning for you can easily hate draft a bit like in seven wonders duel but in a four player all you can do is think about the person after you and hope that your opponents are doing stuff about their neighbors but half the time they won't it's just human mentality they won't do things like that so you end up with the problem that it just sort of becomes a little bit on the random side and in four players can maybe make the game take a little bit longer than it should it's well produced though Lots of good cards. The chocolate coins are really nice. Thick cardboard. You know, they look lovely. In fact, they make me hungry just looking at them now. The card artwork is pleasant. It's colorful. Very simple graphic design. Nothing complex at all. It's okay. But I do think that it's not one I'm going to keep. I would prefer Point Salad, the previous one that they did. That's still on my shelf. Even though that has a similar problem that you put too many players in it and it doesn't work. I play it with a max of four, usually max of three Point Salad. This one... You could convince me to play it with three players, but honestly, I think it's best as a two-player and there's no solo mode. So it's got limited scope. I think if you want to buy this as a couple, you know, like for you and your spouse to play, I think you'll be on with a decent game. But otherwise, if you're thinking about buying this as a kind of multiplayer filler game, there's better ones available and I would say stick with that. So overall, Truffle Shuffle, I think for me is a six out of 10. It's not quite enough to get a seal of endorsement, mainly just because I don't think it works as well in multiplayer, you know, and you could bump it to a seal of endorsement seven out of 10 if you are solely going to play this two player, but I might have liked a solo mode in here. It would have been interesting. And, but when you've got four players and you've got to set up that pyramid every round, three rounds of that and go through, it can drag on a little bit. So it, it's fine. I'm glad I tried it, but nothing that I would say particularly great or memorable. I think this one's just going to get forgotten, really. In fact, I'll be surprised if anybody remembers it now, and it's only been out for a couple of months. So next up, The Search for Planet X. Planet X, X, X. This one is a deduction game. I was going to do a full review on this until my shotgun mic uh, busted and it didn't record the sound loud. So it basically meant that I did the video and it recorded it so quietly that I had, I mean, this happened with the Too Many Bones review actually, but I was able to save that in the edit, but it also doubled the time it took to edit the video. So I was not going to do that again for this one and certainly not for the top 10 high complex, um, low complexity one, which I also had that problem with. It was a, shall we say, not a good day when I found that out quick little drink uh but this one i figured i'd at least put it on the podcast so search for black x is a full deduction game very similar to another game that came out a while ago called cryptid where you are trying to find out where something is on this 
map or chart and you go through effectively like a logic puzzle in order to deduce where it is. This one uses an app in combination with a pad. So you essentially have this board where you have different places you can put theories, but if I can find a decent picture of the board, that would probably be a bit nicer. It doesn't seem to be doing a lot for me, but this I suppose this one will do. Let's let's go back to this one. So you've got these different sectors uh, numbered from 1 to 12, and this is on the baseboard. You can put it onto expert and have more sectors. So this is standard mode. Uh, some of the sectors are hidden by this little revolving uh, sun tile there, so you can only look in certain sectors. But basically, you have things like asteroids and comets and gas giants, things like that, that are in certain sectors, and Planet X is in a single sector by itself. You have to figure out which sector that is. But you have to do that by deducing where all the other stuff is, so that by way of logic, you can work out where Planet X is. You also have to know what's in the sector's adjacent to planet x so it's not enough just to know where x is you need to know what's next door to it and you do it with the sake of an app now i know some of you are like oh god no app hate it might as well be a computer game look the app is free it's easy to use it's not intrusive or anything like that it's just a quick download but you basically have to enter a game code and other players can log into this code on their phones and then basically you do things like survey a specific sector survey a range of sectors do research etc and in doing so it takes time so you have got a counter that moves around the outside of the board a bit like Takedo rules where the person at the back is the next one to move and depending on how many time units your action takes you move around the board and so you may have to wait a bit before your next action the more precise your thing is the more time it takes you can also do these little theories like here with these markers to basically say i think there's an asteroid in this sector uh, i think there's a gas giant in this sector and if you get it right more points and but you're also giving information away to other people so you got to be a little bit careful what you do but Essentially, you just do the actions in the app. It tells you the information you need. You use your pad to write down the various, like, hmm, I, I asked this question, yes. Uh, I know there's an asteroid there, and I know that if I do this research, right, it tells me that an asteroid can't be next to a, 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 a an empty sector. Okay, so I know if that's empty, then there's no asteroid nearby. So that means the asteroids are probably over there, and it's stuff like that bit more complex than Cryptid. Cryptid was kind of like an easy version of this, I would say. And you can always fit this to stand, I'm sorry, to expert mode and do stuff with it there. So the game itself is good fun. If you're a fan of deduction games, you will like this one, pure and simple, because it is a straight up deduction game with a theme that actually works. The fact that you can only look at certain sectors at a time because of the, you know, what you can see in the sky, I think is pretty neat. And it does mean that you've got to plan ahead for what sectors you need to look at. It's not an easy puzzle to solve for sure, and you can play this solo. In fact, you probably should play this solo all the time. The multiplayer aspect is okay, but there is 99% no reason the other player should be in the game, other than the fact you're racing them. The only thing that another player does is, with the theories that they do and stuff like that, it could reveal information to you, but the AI could also do that as well. You can write down what uh, actions the opponents take, but if you're figuring out stuff from that, you might as well not be playing this game. You should be working at NASA. I mean, oh, blimey, that's too much to think about. There's enough to do as it is. But the 
solo mode annoyingly isn't in the rule book you have to go onto the website for the publisher and download the rules which is stupid why is it not in the rule book guys but once you've done it then the app does the whole solo mode for you it's effectively a robotic player that plays in a certain way information gets found out you try and figure out the puzzle before the robot thing does and that's pretty sweet i, I like the solo mode in this i've kept this game uh, I think overall I'd give it an 8 out of 10. It's, you know, I, I find that the multiplayer just drags the time length out a bit. I mean, it takes too long with max players. Don't ever play it with max players. But if you want to play this with you and your significant other, this could work as well. But as I say, adding multiplayer doesn't really add enough difference to the game to make it worth the extra time and the fact that you've got to explain the rules to people. But if you just want a solo deduction game that works with an app and has fairly minimal setup time once you're comfortable with the game, then you're in with a winner here. I think this is solid, even if the components aren't exactly anything to sneeze at. I mean, the board's okay, the tiles are a little bit cheap, uh, the artwork is, well, it's not a huge amount of artwork, to be perfectly so safe, and the app is still decent, though. It wasn't buggy, it didn't crash on me or anything like that. The player screens are a good reference aid, and you know but everything else is kind of you know cheap and cheerful cardboard there's nothing really major apart from the slightly overproduced player markers like so so yeah eight out of ten i like it i'm keeping it as a good solo deduction game but uh, you might want to give this one to look if you are into this sort of thing all right another drink lovely 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 right let's move on to something a bit less well yeah, probably the worst of the four that I'm going to talk about now, and that is Paris, Paris, Paris. Improved districts in 19th century Paris. <sighs> yeah, theme, the setting of this is boring as all get out anyway. I mean, you, you know, read this bit here. It's like, uh, here we go, where is it? Uh, Explore Paris in the 19th century. You take on the role of wealthy real estate investors in the Paris of the 1900s. Paris is at the height of its transformation into one of the beautiful cities in the world. After having successfully organized the World Fair in 1889, I am bored reading this paragraph. And half of it goes on about the whole, like, architecture of, like, La Belle Epoque and uh, Beaujolais Arts, Neo-Byzantine. I, I know nothing about architecture, so this stuff is, like, completely over my head. But... I don't care either. It's like the theme in this is not strong. In fact, it's non-existent. This game is basically a typical medium weight Kramer and Kiesling game, which does mean that it's relatively easy to pick up. And I will admit the rule book in this was pretty decent and there's not a lot of rules to learn. So this is a simple game. But what you are essentially doing is you have a screen, which is pretty pointless, but we'll get onto that in a minute. And what you're doing is you have these districts where you you place... Let's see if this is showing up in OBS a bit better. There we go. Um, you place keys onto these different uh, buildings on the districts after you reveal them from the stacks. And there's specific spaces where they go, but you can say, right, I'm going to put it in this district, put it in this district. And the idea is, is that you pay the money, put your key on the building, you own it. You also get a resource tile next to it or a prestige token depending where you go. And some of these are needed in order to score points or pay for more advanced buildings. If you want to move your key from a building to another building, you pay the difference in cost. And basically the whole game revolves around a timing exercise as you try to get the best ownership in each district for VP. All your opponents are doing the same though. Uh, um, sorry, on top of that, you've also got this track around the outside, which is a bonus tile track, which 
if you take the lower value buildings, you get to move as far as you like on this track, but you can't go backwards. You've seen that in a few games, like Francis Drake and that. And you take the bonus tile, and it may give you a bonus resource, some money, a special ability, whatever. Nothing particularly drastic. Uh, there's a few point scoring opportunities on there, but I wouldn't rely on a lot of them. You know, some of them are good, but some of them are kind of like not worth the effort, really. But oh well, that just happens. But the game itself is really straightforward. You basically put a tile down, put a key or move a key. The key you either put on the bank to get money or the Arc de Triomphe model in the middle so that you can put it anywhere you like. But then you move a key instead to move it onto a building and claim ownership. Aside from that, you've got some end game tiles, the French flags there, which are basically like the end game timer once you run out of buildings. And you just keep going and going. You've got these landmarks for bigger value buildings that you can trade prestige points in for more points, funny enough. And that's kind of the game, really. There's not a huge amount to it because, I'll give it credit, it's a fairly simple game. Production quality is good in the sense that the tiles and the screens and the board, I mean, this is a, you see this board here, it comes in about six different district parts. You've got the Arc de Triomphe to assemble, that middle tile, those are separate boards around the outside. There's quite a lot of boards in this game. You know, you've got to, the setup time for this is a bit long for what it is. But the game takes about 60 to 90 minutes. It's not particularly long. It could be faster with less players, I suspect. And it's... It's okay. I didn't find this that exciting, though. That's the problem it has. There's nothing really original in this game. It's, it's fine. It does the job. But it feels like another Euro. The Arc de Triumph model is pointless. It's just a bit of decoration because you just put a key on top of it and that's it. You move the key off it. There's no reason it needed to be a 3D sculpture other than to try and look cool and sell the theme. But there is no theme in this game. Doesn't matter that the landmarks happen to be art, nice art, I'll give it that, nice art of Paris landmarks. Could have been called Hull for all it mattered. And we could have had Grimsby for all it mattered. It really does not matter what city you picked. And the screens, I don't get the point of these screens. They're supposedly so you can hide your resources and money. But in all honesty... What do you need to hide? I mean, you usually can tell what other people have got resources-wise because they only pick up so many of them and you see when they spend them. But literally, apart from the occasional time of thinking, do they have enough money to go to that spot? Which, honestly, I didn't find myself really caring about most of the time. It's not really worth having the screen. I would just house rule that you get rid of the things and just have public information. It's also less punishing when you decide, right, I'm going to go buy this landmark and try and overtake you on a district. Or is it, oh, I happen to exa have exactly the right resources and money to get this landmark and overtake you again. It's like, well, if I knew you had that, I wouldn't have made that decision. But apparently we need to have some hidden information just so that you can get screwed over. It's like... Yeah, not a big fan of the whole hidden information thing. It doesn't really work for this game. But other than that, it's just kind of meh, whatever. I played it. I didn't dislike it. I thought the game was okay, but it's just there's nothing in it to sell me on to like, oh, I want to play it multiple times. I've played it several times now. I thought maybe I'm missing something. Maybe it will just click and I'll really start to like it. But every time I played it, I just got the same reaction. Meh, meh, meh. You know, I'll play it, but I'm not really that caring about it either. Uh, the, the Also, the paths to victory are really limited here. You pretty much have one path to victory. Get the landmarks. Control the districts. 
That's the crux of the game. And the landmarks are powerful. I mean, if you control a district with a landmark, chances are you will control that district. And so suddenly, you know, it deters anybody else from wanting to go near you. But the scoring opportunities you get with the bonus tiles, I like the bonus tiles in general. I think that's pretty neat. But you don't score many points for a lot of those bonus tiles. It's just not worth the effort to do that when you might as well be putting your resources into getting the landmarks. There's a couple of high scoring stuff at the end of the, the, the rondelle, shall we say, of bonus tiles. But aside from that, I don't really find a lot that interesting, especially in the bonus tiles. I mean, some of them are just like twos score if you're on a bunch of fours get a stone get a wood get some money get another key there's nothing in the abilities that are like oh this is groundbreaking or really different i think there's only two rules that circumnavigate the restrictions of where you can place a key the rest of it is just pretty generic and i think that's the probably the the poster child word for this game generic there's nothing that interesting in it. There's nothing that another game has not already done before. There's nothing that is going to suddenly make me go, oh yeah, I really want to play Paris again so I can try this new path. Well, no, because the paths are all the same every time. So, yeah, I mean, it's well produced, even though it's pretty bland looking. I mean, look, I know this is a nice picture and all, but look at it. It's mostly beige and bluey gray. I, mean, I know that's trying to keep it the sort of Paris thing, but... Is there really anything on there that you would consider to be great art? Not really, apart from the landmark tiles, which I would admit, the landmark tiles and the buildings have got some pretty decent artwork on them. But the rest of it is kind of nice, but unnecessary. The screens, totally unnecessary to enjoy the game. I would just house rule them out and have public information. You'd probably enjoy the game more, and it would be less setup time. The keys in the Art to Triumph... The Arc de Triumph's nice and all, but it serves no functional purpose. It's just there as a 3D model. Why bother with it? Uh, but, yeah, it's okay. I don't dislike Paris, but people were buzzing about this game a lot in the early day. And, honestly, I don't... I can sort of see why people would like it more than I did. You know, I mean, they, they sort of go, Oh, it's another beige euro. Okay, great, let's do it. But... Honestly, I was just expecting more from this. I wanted this to blow me away. It's like, ooh, Kiesling and Kramer, they do like a nice, they're a nice combination of designers. I want them to do a game that really blows me away. But sadly, it didn't really. It just kind of left me a bit underwhelmed, a bit disappointed. You know, I just expected a lot more to, you know, enjoy this game with. And all I got was a fairly average Euro. So hard to say what I think of this game. I don't hate it. I don't dislike it, but then I don't think I can recommend it either. Uh, it's not one that I'm going to seek out. It's not one that I'll even be that interested to play if someone suggests it over other Euros. So I think this one's going to get a 5 out of 10 for me. It's average on my scale. And at some point, I do need to actually do a video on how my ratings work. But 5 is average. It's not bad. I just don't think it's good either. It does its job. It's there on a shelf. You wouldn't look twice at it if you knew the game was called Paris. The cover is nice looking, but again, it's just called Paris. What exactly is that meant to sell you on with the game? It's got a boring setting. There's no theme in it at all, so there's nothing really to immerse yourself in. It's just light, easy, generic, Euro, done and dusted in 90 minutes. Move on. Can we play something a little bit more interesting? That's kind of my feel with Paris. So I can see why people like it. Just Probably not for me. All right, nice drink. All right, 
And lastly, to wrap things up, what have we got? Uh, we're already 35 minutes in, so let's uh, get on with the last one. Arkham Horror, the card game, the Innsmouth Conspiracy expansion. So all the deluxe expansions that have come out for this game have been pretty solid. I mean, they've always brought in five cool new investigators, some new mechanics. It is actually surprising how this game has managed to evolve over time and still feel fresh. Like every single cycle seems to have this unique twist that makes me want to play that particular cycle. Uh, each cycle is memorable. So you don't think oh, this cycle kind of just feels like this cycle. Nah, they're very, very different. And this one I was looking forward to. I mean, the one that previously happened, the Dream Eaters, was a very good cycle. I thought that was a really good cycle, really good campaign, and it scared the bejesus out of me. Because half of it is all about the Dreamlands where the freaky creatures, and the other half is the other side of the Dreamlands where Attack Nakla, or whatever, Attack Naka, however you pronounce her, is the main elder god you face, and she is a giant horrific spider monstrosity. Yay, spiders, the thing I am most afraid of in the entire world, put into Arkham Horror. Thank you, I hate the plateau of Lane, I hate Attack Nalka. Every time I see a picture of her, whether it's in this, or, I mean, have you seen the picture of her in the second edition of Arkham Horror? It is the second edition of Arkham Horror. Look, uh, actually, maybe I can find it. Maybe I'll find it. Hang on. Attack. Uh, I really shouldn't be doing this because I will probably... So, Attack Naka Arkham Horror Second Edition. Right. I'm, I'm really scared to actually look at this now. So, uh, I haven't seen the picture. I don't want to put images on. This is going to really be bad. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, yeah. There she is, right? There she is on screen. So, this thing. How's it looking? I really, yeah. Look at that thing. I know I'm being a wuss, like trying to cover the screen, but I'm sorry. If I was to flick the screen and see like a proper black widow spider or something like that, I would freak out. I really do hate these things. But look at that creature. I mean, the, the one in the Arkham Horror LCG is already freaky enough, but it looks very different to that. But it looks like a humanoid face with spider eyes. It's got spindly legs. It's like, oh, it is horrible. Oh, the one thing to scare me the most in this game, and it had to be her. Oh, it was so good to take her down. Hee hee hee. That you, spider. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. The Innsmouth Conspiracy is my other favorite, probably my most favorite area. Mm, I don't know, the Haster or whatever his name is, the King in Yellow, I think that's a really good premise as well, I really enjoyed that cycle, that's probably the best cycle of the lot actually in terms of story, but this one is probably alongside second favourite, maybe even my favourite, Innsmouth, with the deep ones, with the, the deep one hybrids that look a bit like Murlocs, <laughs> if anybody's played World of Warcraft you'll know what that's from, but uh, yeah, so... Innsmouth Conspiracy is another deluxe edition cycle. It's like all the rest. You get five investigators. Cool. You get two more scenarios. Cool. Starts off a new cycle. This one is not like the previous one, though, where you had a set of four and a set of other four, and you played it as one big eight-part campaign. Bit of a shame. I kind of would have liked them to have done that again, because I thought that worked quite well. You essentially got two campaigns for the price of one that was shorter. Now you've got another eight-part campaign to do, and it's like... Mm, would have liked to have been able to split it into two parts of four again, but never mind. I guess they can't rinse and repeat the same thing all the time. But in this one, you are basically investigating Innsmouth, which is an Atlantic coastal town. So it's all about the ports and docks and the water, the ocean and that. And the deep ones are essentially like weird fish creatures, weird fishy hybrids. And I wonder if I can, I wonder if there's a cool picture of one on any of these. I don't know. We'll get to it eventually. But 
The, the new mechanics this one throws in is you've got keys, like these ones here, which basically have you, uh, so no point zooming in there, they basically are objectives in the scenario. So the scenario might say, put the yellow key on this location, and then if you clear it of clues or do something else, then you take the yellow key, and then other locations might have, if you have all the keys or this particular key, you can do this, or maybe it's a case of when you get the key, something happens. You know, there's st cool story elements there. These little blue tokens are flooded tokens, so being related to the, the docks and water and all that, yeah, you're going to expect flooding to be an issue, and basically locations can become partially flooded or flooded. Doing so makes life harder for the investigators because the encounter deck gets more grisly when the places are flooded, and if something is totally flooded and you stick around there too long, you basically drown, <laughs> which is pretty nasty in itself. So yeah, you got to be a little bit careful. The other thing that's cool, you probably can't see it there, but there's a token, two tokens there, this purple one and this orange one. They are respectively curse and bless tokens. And the idea is, is that certain investigators use them quite a lot. Uh, let's see, uh, Hamana Mary, oh yeah, this is a different language of the investigators. I wish, I wonder if I can find a better example. I can't, you'll just have to make do with the language, but basically Sister Mary. Sister Mary that starts off with a couple of blessed tokens in the bag, and then there's various effects that put more in. Basically, a curse token is a minus two, and a bless is a plus two. But you draw the token and add it to whatever other token you pull out next. So it's not the resolution, it's a modifier. So if your bag gets laden with curse tokens, you're in a pretty bad stake. You're going to be hitting a lot of minus twos on top of whatever negative the token already is. But if you can get the blessed tokens in there, you can really skew the bag in your favor, and it allows you to do some crafty stuff with the bag of tokens so i quite like them i mean i'm using sister mary with akachi in my campaign and you know they're doing pretty well together sister mary kind of hit and miss as to whether she works well you know if she if she what's the word uh fumbles or what's the word they use when you draw a bad hand uh fizzles is that it? yeah when she fizzles She's not that great. <laughs> she doesn't have much to fall back on. But if you can load that place with blessed tokens, you're in a good stead. Uh, Catchy is a spellcaster mystic from ages ago and that. And, you know, she's already rock solid. But, yeah, she holds the fort if Sister Mary's having trouble. But you've got Trish Scarborough, Dexter Drake, Silas Marsh, and Amanda Sharp as other investigators. I have tried Amanda Sharp. I quite like her, actually. Uh, she basically is a student and is very good for, you know, getting cards and doing stuff like that. Um, I, I really do like how she works. Uh, it's definitely a very different style of play with her, but... You know, I quite enjoy her. Uh, I have not really tried Silas Marsh, Dexter Drake, or Trish. Trish, I think, it, I forget what Trish's uh, deal is. She's the rogue, the magician. Dexter Drake is all about sort of action advantage, I believe. And Silas Marsh it does a lot of cool things with, like, regenerating skill cards. So I've not had a chance to play this with all the investigators. I just haven't had time. But you've got five new ones. They all seem pretty unique. They all seem pretty cool to use. And at the end of the day, who doesn't want more investigators, you know, to use in two-handed games, for example. But what people are probably more interested in is, are the scenarios fun? Yes, this is a very good one for the scenario. I will not be... Uh, let's see, that one... I'll get onto that picture in a minute because that's not really spoiling anything. I also I don't want to spoil anything, so there's some blessed tokens there for you. So there's not many pictures, obviously, because people are being careful of spoilers, but uh, well, let's leave it on this one for now. But basically, you've got two scenarios, 
And it's all based on one aspect I really like in these story games, amnesia. You wake up in a cavern underneath Innsmouth. It's based on a bunch of tunnels that are getting flooded at different rates. You've got to find your way out, but you're not necessarily in the tunnel alone. There's other things down there I won't spoil. And you're trying to get out before the whole thing floods. But you pretty much have no idea why you're there. You read the intro to the scenario, and it's basically you're in the cave. Okay? How'd I get here? You can't remember. So you're in the dark as much as the character in the story. You're just sort of going, well, I'm here. Um, survive? <laughs> you got to try and find your way out. But when you do certain elements in the... Sorry, when you do certain parts of the scenario, you get flashbacks. And you won't necessarily find all these flashbacks. So some of them you're going to have to do on a subsequent play. But the flashbacks tell the story that you effectively... You went there to Innsmouth with a guy called Agent Harper. I think it's Agent Harper. Like I say, if I'm making a mistake in the story with names, then I apologize. But I think it's that... Uh, was it with Agent Harper? Oh, I can't remember. But like I say, this this guy basically hired you to go with him to investigate Innsmouth because one of the other agents had gone missing. So you go there and you did part of the investigation. You found out where they were. But then, for some reason, you get ambushed, you got knocked out, and then all of a sudden, you're in this cave, and you don't know why you went there in the first place at this point, and you're just like, uh, what's going on? So you find out these elements of the story through flashbacks, and it's just like, all oh, right, okay, and then you have to start piecing the story together in the same time frame as the characters in the story, so you're as much in the dark as everybody else. But... I find that really cool from a storytelling perspective. And the first scenario is a nice, easy scenario in terms of setup and not easy in terms of beat. It's still challenging, but I don't think it's overly difficult. But yeah, you, it's just nice laid out. You've got the tunnels. There's a couple of extra things to deal with. You've got multiple ways to do it. And it's like, yeah, I really do enjoy that one. The second one, which uh, I think was the Finding Agent Harper one. I need to find that picture again. Don't worry, this won't spoil anything. Uh, basically you come across the person you were looking for and you know you then like okay don't you remember how we met and then the second scenario is what happened when you first went to Innsmouth so it's kind of going in a weird chronological order the first scenario is technically the second scenario in terms of chronological time because this scenario the second one in the deluxe set is what happened to put you there in the first place. It's really cool how it does it. But the Search for Agent Harper is, it's been done before. It's one where you're going around the locations and you're finding the different suspects and you're trying to find out who kidnapped Agent Harper and where's the hideout. So you've got a sort of small deck where you're filtering out the cards, trying to thin out the suspects, thin out this um, the hideouts, eventually make an accusation as to which one it is. And if you get it wrong, the scenario gets harder. If you get it right, then it gets a bit easier. But it's not like auto-fail if you get it wrong. It's just like, oh, some nasty stuff appears and you kind of have to really go against the go against the odds in order to try and finish. But it's not like you made the accusation wrong, lose. So don't worry about that. But especially as it's a bit of a lucky swing at times. I mean, you could find them out pretty quickly. You could find them out never and might have to make a 50-50 gamble as I did. So it's a little bit annoying in that respect. You know, that luck has to play a part. But hey-ho, at least, like I say, it doesn't cripple you, when you if you get it wrong. So it's just like, oh, we better finish the scenario now. But 
While doing this, you know, you find out more about what happened. It's just a nice sort of, you know, it's got a big map. You go to the different areas. You find these different people. You parlay with some of them to try and find out what's what. While obviously dealing with the occasional Innsmouth local who's like, Hmm, they look a little bit fishy or bulgy-eyed and they're trying to get in your way. Occasionally a deep one hybrid or deep a deep one, you know, deep one fishy thing. Murloc, you know, comes out of the water and tries to kill you. It's, you know, there's some really cool stuff within Smurf. I just like the whole idea that you've gone to the seaside port, something's up with the locals, they don't trust you, and then you start seeing the creatures and then it's like, okay, what's going on here? It's a bit like Resident Evil 4. Um, where you go to that village. You go to the village. It's not just zombies like the first three Resident Evils, but you get to the village and the locals just don't seem right. They're not zombies, but they're not quite all there, you know, and you're trying to piece together that story. Very much like Innsmouth. It's not that everybody in Innsmouth is a zombie or a giant fish. It's the fact that they're kind of partially there but not quite or there's just something not quite right it's like why do their eyes look a bit weird why are they all sweaty and oily uh why is his speech going a bit weird it's like you know it's, it's a gradual process but this was really good these two scenarios i thought they were both good fun i really like i think the tunnel one is better overall and uh, but i think both of them are pretty solid and i thought from a storytelling perspective great just to quickly mention Into Deep, the Mythos pack, I've played it once. It's pretty cool. You've got to get from one side of a map to another as you've effectively carrying on from the, the tunnels. So you effectively go back to just when you left the tunnels and it's like, ah, things are going to pot. Get from one end of Innsmouth to the other, evacuate. But you're restricted on where you can go. There's stuff chasing you. There's lots of keys and various things to find, which can unlock more flashbacks than that. So you find out bits of information again by your past, but because the information, basically the scenario is kind of like a, a push your luck. How much can you do? You won't necessarily die from the scenario. I don't think you die from this one, but if you do well and find like all the keys and defeat all the big enemies and stuff, which yeah, trying that solo, good luck, but it's more for a multiplayer one, I think, this scenario. But two-handed, it worked, but I just didn't feel I could do a lot of the key stuff. I pretty much just gunned it for the exit as quick as I could and did the mandatory stuff, which is fine. But I just thought, how on earth am I supposed to be able to do all this other stuff? It just seems impossible with even two people. I think you need a good team of investigators to be able to manage it. But... You know, it's cool that you have that opportunity to sort of go, I'm just going to push a little bit further and try and get more keys and unlock a few more flashbacks because the flashbacks aren't just story. They also give you benefits. Like some of them might actually remove tokens out of the bag. Some of them might give you some extra experience and stuff. So it's worth getting the flashbacks from a mechanical standpoint, not just a thematic one. But, you know, that I've only played it the once. I completed it and I look forward to the cycle. But yeah, the... Innsmouth Conspiracy is really solid. Uh, oh, God, yeah. What language is that? Russian? Uh, that one looks like a French-Spanish one. Seriously, do they not just have... Oh, that'll do. <laughs> Arkham Horror, the Innsmouth Conspiracy. I'm looking forward to this cycle, like, going further down the whole fishy route and more flashbacks, more piecing together the story. But I think if you're a fan of the game, you've probably already bought this. But if you're on the fence thinking, well, I've got a couple of them, I'll get this one maybe. Not the easiest of cycles, I will admit. I still think you should probably go in chronological order in terms of difficulty rating, although with the slight exception that Forgotten Age is pretty difficult in general, especially if you don't have a high agility character. But 
you know, in terms of mechanics, you're adding blessed tokens, curse tokens, the keys, the flooding, and they're not overly complicated by themselves, but it's more stuff to throw at you, whereas the earlier cycles don't throw in quite as much in the way of new mechanics. So I still think you should just go in chronological order personally, but if you want to skip ahead and grab this one, you're more than welcome to. It's a really solid one. Uh, I just think, you know, you don't have to skip ahead and grab it, but if you have maybe done the first two or three scenarios and you're like, well, I can take or leave, I'm just after Innsmouth because I like Innsmouth, then I don't think it's going to hurt you too much to leapfrog to this one. It just might be a bit more of a challenging scenario for you. So all in all, really liked it. Yeah, a couple of minor negatives with it, but I'd, I'd give it a solid 9 out of 10. I think it's another distinction level deluxe expansion. I really want to try the other investigators in here. I already like Sister Mary. I like, uh, you know, I've tried Trish. I like those two. And the other three look pretty cool as well. So that, along with all the starter decks that I've got, still haven't played these through. I've still got to integrate these into my collection. I've just, like, looked at them. <sighs> so little time, so many games. But, yeah. Arkham Horror is still going strong. So, there we go. Throat's going, and i got to get on with Stellaris soon, with some friends in the evening after I edit this podcast. But yeah, I'm going to go get this one done. 52 minutes. Wow, we're up to a pretty lengthy one today. But yeah, four reviews for you. Truffle Shuffle, Paris, Arkham Horror Innsmouth, and... And Search for Planet X. I had to look at the games there in order to remember that one. But yeah... Oh, it's good to tick four games off the list anyway. So hopefully these were useful reviews for you, even though they're not the full detail review. But don't worry, full detail stuff is coming for stuff like Kingdom Rush, Coleco, and Chronicles uh, of in Crime. Oh, and Viscounts of the West Kingdom. I was probably going to do a full video on that. So that's four full videos I'm going to have to do. That's quite a lot. I'm just going to have to try and make certain that they don't take like 30 minutes worth of like, footage you know in each one i'm gonna have to try and speed up my detail reviews a bit and focus them a little bit more so that i can get the time length down to under 20 minutes so it's not quite such a editing nightmare but yeah well coleco won't take long to talk about nor will chronicles 1400 to be honest so those two should be pretty quick reviews it will be kingdom rush and viscounts that's going to be the next slot but uh yeah Looking forward to talking more about them. And also, if you want to get in touch with me and play some games, possibly, then uh, Paul Grogan has Virtual GridCon on this one, Virtual GridCon 2. Uh, Not as publicized as much as the previous one, uh, because obviously he wears himself out because he doesn't know the meaning of rest. (sighs) Seriously, how much do we have to tell you, Paul? Rest, it's a good thing. But... The idea is it's another virtual con, so I'm looking forward to it. I'll see some people there, and you know, you know, if you don't know much about it, then don't worry too much. But it's just like if you are somebody who follows Paul Grogan, you'll know about it. And you know, I'll be able to, I'm teaching some games on the Saturday. I'll be teaching a couple of games maybe on the Sunday. Although I've got a game with Paul for Lord of the Rings LCG planned, and I'm playing a game with some friends for Viscounts actually on Tabletop Simulator on Sunday. So time might be a bit weird, but I know I'm teaching Viscounts, probably Vindication, Pursuit of Happiness, and Pulsar 2849 on TTS throughout Saturday. So that's a given. And Friday, I'm going to, for the first time, get to play Kanban EV. Yes, Kanban EV. The prerequisite is that I have to know how to play the game. I better get watching Paul Grogan's video on that front, and I better get to watch, uh, reading the rulebook. Um, but uh, yeah, oh well, he hasn't released the video yet. It's a private viewing, but uh, you know, 
it will be something he's working on. So, yeah, I need to get okay, okay with the rules before that game starts. But Friday night, I'll get to play Kanban EV. Please be good. Please be good. I like Kanban. It's on my shelf. It was my favorite Lacerda and Gallerist uh, took over it. Um, yeah, there's Gallerist. There it is. So that one's overtaken it because Gallerist is just much more streamlined in terms of how easy it is to get into it despite being a heavy and complex game. Kanban was a lot more fiddly in its previous version. So if Kanban EB can do what Vinyos and Gallerist did, which is streamline the process but still retain that cool theme with Sandra, your boss, and making cars and testing them, oh, it could be a dream game for 2020. So please don't mess it up, Eagle Griffin. Uh, Vital is going to be in the game, Vital the Surder, as well as Hilmar from the Icelandic uh, Midgard Convention will be in the game. I forget who else is in it, but yeah, it's going to be a good one. Please, please, please be good. But anyway, that's it for me. I'm going to sign off and get on with editing this podcast. So hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you enjoy it, whether you're listening to it on your Spotify or Apple or watching it on YouTube as a vlog. You know, it's a technically a podcast, but people sometimes like to watch it as a vlog. Uh, you know, but take care. Hope lockdown and COVID is not screwing you over and wherever you are. There's light at the end of the tunnel. I know it. We just got to... I guess be patient and just wait for it to start to, you know, <laughs> to start coming a bit closer, shall we say. But hope you're playing games wherever you are, whether it's solo or not. You know, don't be ashamed of playing games solo, especially in this day and age. But uh, hopefully you're just having fun and enjoying each other's company, if nothing else. So take care. I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple video. And until next time, remember, as always, it's only a game. Take care and I'll see you soon.